weeks ago that our illustrious regional minister, Dr. Dan Andrews, was not going to be traveling on Sundays for the most part during Advent. I said, hey, we should trade off and team teach over Advent. And since I also know that one of the parts of being a regional minister is that you become a frustrated preacher because you don't get to get in the pulpit as much as you'd like, especially when you've been preaching nonstop for 25 years like Dan has. Um, we thought it would be fun to do something kind of different this year and alternate Sundays um, preaching. So then we got talking about what are we going to preach on? Well, I mean, Jesus, but yeah. Um, and he, we were talking about different series that we've done over the years because, you know, when you've been anywhere for a long time, you start to you start to try to come up with different ways to, to come at Advent. Um, not not that people expect you to be like super novel or anything like that, but but you want to keep it fresh and keep it interesting. Um, and so Dan said, well, you know, a long time ago I did this series on the kings of, of Christmas. I said, oh, that's interesting. So tell me about that. And um, so we decided that what we would do is, is go through this series where. Um, we talk about the kings that are in the Christmas stories. And we're going to start this Sunday with the wicked king, which of course is Herod. And the next Sunday, Dan's going to talk about the rightful king. And then the next Sunday, I'm going to talk about the wise kings, the magi. And then, of course, the uh, fourth Sunday of Advent, Dan will talk about the true king. And so we'll work through the, the kings um, here. Now, I, I'm going to tell you that then I, of course, made sure that since Dan had done this before, he sent me all of his notes. So, um, I'm just going to read, no, I'm not, just kidding, I'm not going to read it. But, um, but a, lot of, a lot of everything you're going to hear from Advent is based on, on Dan's research and things he put together. Um, so, just so you know, and I want to tell you that because I also have access to his notes and borrowed some of his structure and some of his ideas because I don't want ever to be accused of being a plagiarist, so I want to give credit where credit is due. And so I want to make sure he knows that I'm giving him credit for these ideas because, you know, hey, nobody wants a pastor who's a plagiarist. That's just... Well, you know, almost every story has some sort of villain. And sometimes part of the, the story is the transformation of that villain into to maybe a good guy. Right? If Christmas stories have a villain. If you were to read a Christmas carol... Right? Ebenezer Scrooge kind of starts out as a villainous sort of guy. He's kind of bomb. He's kind of hating on Christmas and all that sort of stuff. But, of course, we know that if you've read the story or you've seen the movie, one of the movie adaptations, um, of which the one with Patrick Stewart is the best, and if you want to disagree with me, well, that's your problem, but I'm right. Um, he goes from bah humbug, of course, to as... The story says, a man who knew how to keep Christmas in his heart. Or if you've uh, seen The Grinch, right, Dr. Seuss, maybe you're not really big on, on Charles Dickens, but you like The Grinch, you know how The Grinch stole Christmas. We know that by the end of the story, what happens? His heart grew three sizes that day, which sounds like a medical problem to me, but <laughs> if it worked for him, that's okay. Because, of course, we know in the story his heart started off. Now, I'm going to tell you that is not the case with our villain today. His heart is not going to grow three sizes. He is not going to go from Bah Humbug to a guy who knows how to keep Christmas, unfortunately. Because he is a villain in more of a true sense, 
And of course, he comes in the form of Herod the Great, the ruler of Palestine at the time of Jesus' birth. I'm going to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first 20 verses of Matthew chapter 2. It'll be on the screen for you also. It says that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. Uh-huh. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping, for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. You know, villains can be complex, and of course, Herod is, is no exception. We tend to think of him as all bad because we only have this story in the Bible. But Herod was also an extraordinary man in his time. He was reared in a, an aristocratic family, and he was a capable general. The Roman authorities realized this, that he was very capable, and put him in control of all of Palestine when he had won it over. For nearly 40 years, Herod reigns over Palestine. He was able to maintain peace during that time, and so they had peace for about 40 years in a time where rebellion and conflict had pretty much been the norm through most of their history. He was a shrewd politician. He was able to keep the Jews from rebelling and keep the land relatively at peace. 
Now, part of pleasing the local residents, and as well as establishing his own power, demonstrating his own glory, was his massive building campaigns. This guy liked to build stuff. In fact, he was one of ancient history's most accomplished builders. He had been well-educated, and he knew of the ancient wonders of the world, and he kind of felt he wanted to put that knowledge to great effect and be known as this, this great builder. So he built all sorts of buildings and fortresses. Uh, for example, you've probably heard of the Palace of Masada, right? This huge hill in the middle of the desert that was the place where the Jews made their last stand against the Romans in AD 73. Well, that was built by Herod. City of Caesarea built by Herod, amazing feat of engineering. He had his builders figure out a way to put Roman concrete underwater and build walls to protect the harbor so the ships would be protected from the winds and the waves. And of course, that quickly became the Roman capital of Palestine and was used for more than a century as the place where the Romans ruled from. Jerusalem, he brought the city back to its former glorious standing over many centuries it had been battered wars. He built all sorts of great buildings, the two greatest of which are his palace that he built in Jerusalem, and of course the one most famous to us, the Second Temple. And he built this beautiful temple over the course of 30 years, every bit as glorious, every bit as amazing as the temple that Solomon built. And he gave it as, as a gift to the Jews, even though he himself was not particularly interested in Jewish religion, but he was a good politician. So he knew how to keep peace. So he's like, hey, we'll hook you up with this really sweet temple. And maybe you'll behave yourselves. History tells us he was capable of being extremely generous when he wanted to be. In the 14th year of his reign, a terrible drought hit the land. Crops were completely devastated. So he canceled all the taxes for a year. That'd be nice. I wouldn't mind that. No, I don't, I don't. I don't need any checks from Washington. Just cancel the taxes for a year. For two. Five. How old am I? How much longer do I have? Maybe taking a cue from Joseph, he took some of his own gold and bought grain and seed so the people could have food and seed to plant crops the next year. He then sold that to the people. So he's a complex figure. <coughs> so we come to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at his response to the coming of King Jesus. It's one of the three responses we're going to look at in this passage. We're going to look at his response, we're going to look at the response of the religious leaders, and we're going to look at the response of the people. We're going to save the response of the Magi because we're going to get a whole sermon on that in a couple weeks. So we're holding on to the Magi. Okay, they get their own sermon. But the rest we're going to look at this morning and these three other responses to the Magi. The first, of course, is Herod. Now, this story reflects the other trait that we haven't yet talked about with Herod. The great leader, the builder, the sometimes generous when he wanted to be, and probably when it benefited him a bit. But also, he was known for his cruelty. In fact, he could be extremely cruel to anybody who would cross him or stand in his way. It was fueled by his massive paranoia that he would somehow lose power. We're told 
that he had one of his wives killed and the three sons that they had together executed because he feared they were going to rebel against him. Legend has it that he had 70 of the most liked individuals in Jerusalem rounded up and arrested on trumped-up charges. And the order was given that at the first announcement of Herod's death, these 70 individuals were to be executed to guarantee that there would be mourning in every part of Jerusalem that day. He tortured and killed anyone who dared to challenge him, enemies, friends, or even family members. Not exactly the nicest guy. So imagine, if you will then, to Matthew chapter 2, one day Herod and his cronies that chilled at the palace, and some wise men from the east show up. Yeah, weird fancy clothes, strange accents, riding camels. And they're asking about some king of the Jews that's just been born. They saw some cosmic sign. And of course, Herod's paranoid, remember. So cosmic signs, that's going to get his attention. And Herod, of course, he gets wind of this, and he's thinking to himself, well, I'm the king of the Jews. Well, at least by decree of the Romans, I'm king of the Jews. But who's this one who's born king of the Jews? Needless to say, as the scripture tells us, the greatly paranoid Herod was disturbed by this news. This word disturbed here is the same word, we just come out of studying Acts, it's the same word that's used in the book of Acts when it talks about how Paul comes to a city, right, and the city ends up in an uproar over Paul's preaching and there's riots and that sort of thing. It's the same word, disturbed, it's the same word, like when Paul gets the whole city into a riot. So Herod's not going to take this just sitting down on his throne. Now you've got to understand, Herod himself is not particularly fond of the Jews. But he knows enough to know that they believe that some Messiah is coming. And so he summons the religious leaders and he inquires about where's the Messiah to be born. And of course, we know the story. They tell him that the Messiah's going to come to Bethlehem because of what it says in the prophet Micah. And they quote the prophet Micah. So Herod, sneaky, paranoid, psychotic guy that he is, hatches a nice little plot. He calls the Magi, secretly. He doesn't want anybody to really know what he's up to. And he finds out when they, when did you guys really first see this star? I mean, was it like last week or a couple months ago or whatever? You know, because they had to have time to travel from the east and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't like they could just hop on a plane, right? You know, they didn't, it's not like Aladdin. They didn't have any flying carpets in Baghdad that they could get on and fly with. You know, the whole new world. So then he tells them, the Magi, about Micah 5 too, about Bethlehem, about the king that was to come. And then he thinks to himself, and you can kind of imagine Herod plotting, right, that the coup de grace is going to come when he tells him, now when you find the new king, you come back and tell me so I can come worship him too. So off the Magi go. And of course we know they find the baby Jesus and they worship the baby Jesus, right? Because they 
They know what's up. They hand off some sweet gifts to the family, right? Okay, because you don't come to the king without a gift. So they give some sweet gifts. Incidentally, some sweet gifts that are going to make having to pay for a really fast trip to Egypt and having to live in Egypt for a couple of years a lot easier to deal with, right? Some gold and some stuff, yeah, it's going to make it a lot easier to travel. But they don't go back to Herod because God sends them a dream. You ever wonder, does he send all of them the same dream? Does he send one of them the dream? See, these are the questions that I think about when I read these stories. Do they all wake up the next morning? Guys, I have this dream. You too? No way. And off they went, right? They returned to the east a different way. So, of course, I wonder, you know, soon Herod realizes he's been had. I wonder how long that took. Like, you can picture, I mean, remember, the dude's paranoid, right? Okay, history tells us the dude's paranoid. And I'm trying to picture Herod. He's sitting in, he's sitting in his palace, got his big fancy palace, right? You know, and I don't know if he's chilling in his throne room or whatever. He's kind of sitting there. He's waiting for the Magi to show up. A couple days go by. He's thinking, ah, you know, they got to go to Bethlehem. They gotta, they're going to do their thing. Maybe it took them a while to figure out where Bethlehem. You know, from here, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a half-day journey to Bethlehem. And, you know, plus they're on a ride. You know, three days in, a weekend. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, right? But at some point, Herod realizes they ain't coming back. So he does the only thing his cruel, twisted, paranoid self can think of. He decides to go look for the baby himself. No! He sends troops to Bethlehem to kill every male child under two years old since he only knew when the star first appeared and he couldn't be sure how long between the star and the birth. He didn't really know. So he figured, if I kill all the two-year-olds and under, I'll make sure to get them. So the arrival of Jesus is not only a time of great joy for some, but for some in Bethlehem, at least, it was a time of great sorrow. As an aside, soldiers that were sent to do this. What do you think that was like? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they went with the classic line of history, I was just following orders. Well, Herod and his reprehensible actions, that represents one kind of reaction to Jesus, and that is the reaction of hostility. Our world is full of people who are actively hostile towards Jesus. They're hostile toward Jesus, they're hostile toward anyone that worships and follows him. And the scriptures tell us that as time goes on, we are warned that that hostility will increase. Hostility, it's out there. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you're here and maybe you feel a little hostile toward Jesus this morning. I don't know. Now, when I say that, I don't mean necessarily toward Christians. Because for sure, throughout history, I don't think any of us can deny, there have been some who would claim the name of Jesus, 
but who definitely did not act like the one that they claimed. And maybe you feel hostility toward them, and I kind of get that. And that I can understand. So maybe the lesson in that too for those of us who follow Jesus is make sure that if you follow Jesus, we act like the one that we claim to follow. That's probably pretty important. But that's for another story. But I mean hostility toward Jesus himself. Maybe you feel hostility toward Jesus. Somebody that's going to be listening to this on the internet. Maybe you're feeling hostility. If that's the case, I would like to encourage you, yea, even challenge you, to read the Gospels and encounter the true Jesus, who is deeply loving and lovely, and who wants an abiding love relationship with you. Because I don't think you can encounter the true Jesus in the Gospels and come away with hostility when you see how much he truly loves you. Now the second reaction to this story is, is the religious leaders, right? Because Herod calls these religious leaders. Now imagine the story here from their perspective. He summons these religious leaders, right? Because he wants to find out about the Messiah. And you, you know, you're the religious leaders, if you're the religious leaders of Israel, you've been waiting for the Messiah for a long time. You're hoping for the Messiah. You, you don't like Roman rule, and you really don't like Herod. But you also want to keep your head attached properly to your neck, so you don't probably say too much. But you're waiting for the Messiah, because you think the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to kick the Romans out, and set up the kingdom, and all that kind of jazz. And then one day, you hear about some crazy-looking dudes from the east, and they're coming and saying, hey, he's born. And you know where he's been born. And we know that you know he's been born because they go and tell Herod where he's going to be born. So they know. They know where Christ is going to be born. Don't you think that at least one of these guys would grab his donkey and take a ride to Bethlehem? I mean, he can't catch an Uber, so he's got to get his own donkey or whatever. I mean, wouldn't, if you were one of these religious leaders, right, okay, wouldn't you at least be curious just to check it out?
money-changing and sacrificial animal-selling business was going really, really well, right? They were putting a lot of cheddar in their pockets. And maybe they didn't want to upset their apple cart. But it just amazes me that they seem to just sort of shrug it all off and just go about their day. Yeah, Bethlehem, Herod, no problem. You have fun with that. Look, man, I, I got I got these lambs I'm raising because Passover is going to be coming. I'm going to get some sweet money for these lambs I'm going to sell at Passover. So I got to get back to my Passover lambs. Right? That is a lot of modern people today that are just simply indifferent to Jesus. They're just indifferent. Both among people who, who do not truly know Jesus and honestly, even among people who, who claim the name of Jesus. People just think, man, I'm doing fine. Everything's pretty much decent. It's pretty good. I'm okay. And I mean, who, do I, should I have to really worry about some dude talking about an old book anyway? I mean, I'm doing fine. Kids are doing good in school. Job's okay. House is pretty sweet. Yet if the Christmas story is true, and it is, then Jesus is the most significant person that's ever been born in history. To be indifferent towards someone who has changed all of history so significantly is hard, honestly, for me to comprehend. But how many people just shrug off Jesus? How many just not even interested in investigating who he is? So many people just, just don't care. <laughs> just don't care. What's going on? Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you just don't really care all that much. Maybe you even would say, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you've just sort of gotten sucked into the whatever of daily life. It happens. Life just kind of can overwhelm you at times. Well, my prescription actually is the same for you. I, I would invite you to read the Gospels and encounter the great lover of your soul. It will not take much experiencing the love of Jesus before you will begin to love him or love him anew. And you will find, I think, that your indifference will become deference, which will become the love and the Christmas joy that we so often talk about and sing about. And that will fill your heart. Finally, the third group, briefly mentioned, of the people of Jerusalem. Because it says back in verse 3 that when Herod is disturbed, the whole city is disturbed, right? All Jerusalem along with him. And their reaction is the third, which is that of fear. They're disturbed because Herod, they're afraid. And I can think of lots of reasons for that fear. For one, they had relative peace and quiet for a long time, relative prosperity. Maybe for many of them, for most of their lives, Herod had been ruling for 30-some years by this point. When people live in peace and prosperity, they do not want that disturbed. When I'm home, I used to, when, when the kids were young, you probably, probably remember this, right? When you guys were younger. 
I used to have this sign I would occasionally put outside my office door that said something to the effect of, unless it's on fire or you're bleeding, leave me alone. Because I like my peace. Don't disturb it. because knowing Herod's reputation, they were afraid of his reaction. Clearly, those in Bethlehem had something to fear. Didn't go so well for them, folks. Because they suffered the horrible result of Herod's paranoia. Or maybe it's because these magi happen to be from the east, from Persia. See, Herod had taken control of Palestine through a military victory against the Parthians, which are really just the Persians kind of reinvented. So in 40 BC, when Israel was under Roman rule, the Roman Civil War broke out. And during that time, the Parthians conquered Israel for about three years. Until in 37 BC, General Herod shows up and wipes out the Parthians and conquers the land back for Rome. He's made king, and there's relative peace for the rest of that time. And then, all of a sudden, this group of Persian wise men, royalty types, come <coughs> to Israel, asking about, where's this king of the Jews? Now, you know, when we talk, when we got, do we have, do we have, are wise men up here even? We don't have, yeah, there they are, okay. See, we think of, we think of three wise men, right? Because of the three gifts, right? First of all, we don't know how many real wise men showed up. Secondly, in the ancient, if you're, if you're well off enough to bring frankincense, myrrh, and gold as gifts from the east, you ain't just traveling with the three of you on a camel. You've got an entourage, right? Sort of like when Kanye comes, right? <laughs> He's got his entourage. Okay, well, they had their, have their entourage. They would have had, you know, people to carry the goods, and maybe somebody to do the cooking, and they would have had soldiers, right, to protect them. I mean, it's not like traveling now. It's very dangerous. Yeah, well, I mean, only when you're driving. Start fearing for the future? 